Hello and welcome back to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator, Simon Good. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking through some tips for surviving annoying family members, annoying family gatherings, annoying family interactions over the holiday period if you celebrate Christmas or something else coming up towards the end of the year. Um, For many of us, these interactions with people that rub us the wrong way or push our buttons or they're just really draining tend to be negative. And in a lot of situations, like when people have had a few too many beers over a Christmas party, unfortunately, conflict often comes up. We might not have spent much time with some relatives, distant family members, even relatively close family members in some situations, maybe just because we've been busy or maybe there's been some tension in the relationship, which means that when we finally all get together, um, sometimes it's a little bit like a volcano erupting. And so in the episode today, I'll talk about some strategies that you can use to manage these kind of situations, which I suppose both involves not getting sucked into conflict. So minimizing the drama, minimizing the stress, minimizing all of the negative sides of dealing with these annoying people. But also probably by virtue of that first step, we are able to maximize the positive We enjoy spending time with our kids and seeing some members of our family, even if there are other members there that, you know, we don't get along with as well. And we look back and think that we've been a good role model for our kids when we haven't flipped out and lost it at that annoying uncle that's, you know, got a different political view to us or whatever else it might be. We enjoy it in the moment and we tend to look back then with more positive memories. And wouldn't you know it, that often means that next year, as we're approaching that same event, we might feel more confident, we feel more relaxed, we feel more at at ease, which then tends to create a really positive reciprocal spiral. As we start to feel more confident, we enjoy it more and then that tends to build. And so the first step in the episode today, I think, will be how can we interrupt the negative spiral that a lot of us have been sucked into. Before we get into those tips, though, just again, thank you very much for listening. If you've got feedback about the podcast, you can visit my website. It's simongood.com. It's S-I-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-E.com. You can email me at podcast at simongood.com or visit the website and just use the contact form there, which actually tends to be the way that most people are, are contacting me via the podcast at the moment. So the first thing that I think it's important to survive those annoying family gatherings is to understand the cumulative impact of stress. Stress tends to build up for us chemicals or hormones in our brain like cortisol. They stay in our system for a lot longer than people realize. For cortisol, it can be up to 18 hours, which means that if you've really had a flustered and stressful morning getting ready and making sure you've got all the presents wrapped and packed in the car and the kids are all a nightmare, they're fighting with each other and everybody's already stressed and wound up and negative. When you walk in the door at grandma's house for the Christmas party, you're already probably walking in at a six or a seven out of 10 level of stress. And then during the Christmas party at grandma's, you know, you see annoying Uncle Fred and Your grandma makes some negative comments about the kid's new haircut or whatever it is for you that tends to push your buttons, those things as well build up. So if we're aware of that, it means that we can proactively manage that buildup of stress, which might mean things like 
uh, scheduling time and making sure that you're prepared, maybe packing the night before so you're not rushing in, in the morning of, for example, or ordering some presents ahead of time or negotiating with the family members that each of you will only bring a particular dish which lowers the load on everybody that's involved. We can sort of think strategically about what's going to prevent that negative buildup of stress on the day. And then during the day, just being a little bit aware of how you're traveling, how that buildup is sitting there for you, and what do you need to do to look after yourself. For me, just going and having five minutes by myself every hour or so just makes a massive difference so that I'm not just going from draining conversation into draining conversation into draining conversation. So that might be, I mean, smoking or something, if that's something that you do, but even finding an opportunity like to go and hang out with a toddler or throw the ball for the dog in the yard or something like that, or go and have a look at that flower in the garden that looks interesting and just spending a few minutes there. If someone says, what are you doing? You can say, I just saw this flower. I just wanted to have a look. I mean, realistically, there's probably a bit of that, but it's much more about you just grabbing a moment to catch your breath. And that's okay. And and probably that would make for a lot of people a really significant difference to where their head's at by the end of that same event. So prepare before and then during the event or during the conversation or during the interaction, just thinking about what do you need to do, taking a few minutes to take a couple of deep breaths to calm yourself down, um, having a bite of food so you have a moment to process what they've just said before you respond and bite their head off with a negative comment. You can do a lot more in terms of self-regulation than you probably realize, but the key there is to be proactive about it. The other thing that comes along with that cumulative buildup of stress are the negative emotions. We often feel things like we're frustrated when someone seems to not have a clue or we're disgusted or annoyed about the political opinion that somebody might have or their view on something like, I don't know, abortion, for example, or maybe even free speech, if that's something that you value very strongly. And this is all just the tip of the iceberg. This is all just an incredibly shallow layer and probably the way that they've come to that view is much more complex than we realise. And they might even be more malleable than we realise if we could enter into a conversation with them that helps them to feel safe. But for us, what often comes up is in the moment is a reaction that's based on strong emotions and it's things like frustrated, disgusted, annoyed, I'm exhausted, I just feel overwhelmed and trapped, I feel um, so just, this is so unjust that they think that they can sit here criticising everybody else when after all how much effort they've put into preparing this Christmas party. And so just being aware of those emotions that are sitting there for you and creating distance from them tends to make them a lot more manageable. The emotions are like the fish swimming around in the pond and you are the pond, you are not the fish. But in the moment when the person's making that negative comment and trying to get a rise out of you, it can certainly feel like you're just consumed by the anger. So just pausing and asking yourself, what am I feeling? Where is that happening in my body? What am I noticing? What else am I feeling? And then just maybe adding a little bit of granular detail to the emotion Do I feel more or less energized? Do I feel more or less comfortable? These emotions are really signals that our brain are giving us about the current situation that we're in. So if the other person's saying something that really goes against a core value that we have, we're likely to feel very strongly about it. This might just be a sign of something like a boundary being crossed. Like for us, this is something that's really important. 
So we can take note of that and observe it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to inject that emotion into the conversation or even really that we need to display it at all. For me, when I go into an annoying conversation or what I anticipate is probably likely to be annoying, there's just little things that push our buttons, right? Like there's a, um, a particular family member I've got and whenever I say something about myself, they always immediately answer with a story about themselves. Like I'll say something like, you know, I bought this new guitar pedal because I'm thinking, oh, we both like guitars. This might be a way to create a little bit of common interest. So I'll say, oh, you know, you, you mentioned this pedal. Actually, I ended up buying one. I really like it. Gosh, I really like this about the sound. How do you normally set it up? So I'm trying to open up the conversation and connect, but inevitably with this person, they always just start talking about themselves. So if I say, I just bought this pedal, they'll almost interrupt me and say, oh, did you? Well, I bought this pedal the other day as well. And I'm like, okay, but (laughs) did you really need to interrupt my story to tell me yours? I mean, I'm happy to just talk about you, which is the way the conversation goes. But, you know, to be honest, I'm not getting a lot out of this. Uh, So the emotions that are sitting there for me is that it's annoying which is just a sign that this isn't the way I prefer to communicate. I can notice that and observe it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I can't spend time with this person. You know, one of my goals is to make them feel good. So if I spend 10 minutes talking to them about something that's a bit boring for me and they're just very self-focused, maybe that's something that I can deal with. But if I'm not aware of that emotion and creating that distance, what it means is that I'll react using that emotion And I'll say, mate, every single time I talk about something I've bought, you tell me something else that you've bought. It's not a bloody competition. What's your problem? Well, then, of course, that's probably not leading the conversation into an area that's going to be light and enjoyable and stress-free and joyful. It's going to be stressful and gross and tense and all the rest of it. And that's not what I want. So if I can be more aware of my emotions, it sort of increases my capacity to manage them. A related, I think, tip there is just to really focus on your goal. With a lot of these family members that you don't spend a lot of time with, grandma, uncle Frank, whatever, this distant cousin, even sometimes your siblings if you're an adult, like I don't spend a lot of time with my brother and sister and their families. And so I think a lot of people get sucked into arguments and conflict because they haven't properly thought about what their goal is for this interaction or this event or whatever. I mean, after all, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to fix them (laughs) if you think that their political views are all skew-if and they're really going down the wrong track or they're doing something that's really damaging their kids in terms of their parenting approach or they're a complete tightwad in terms of money and you just wish they would be a little bit more generous. After all, they earn more than anybody else in the family. I mean, it's like we think that something should be different, but there's very little likelihood that you are going to actually be able to make any difference by talking to this person about this over Christmas lunch once a year. What it is probably doing is actually getting them more dug into their black and white position, because as soon as you tell them why they're wrong, the natural inclination is that they start to justify themselves. So I would just let go of that goal of correcting them and fixing them and convincing them that you're right whether it's something to do with, you know, I remember in the COVID lockdown stuff, there was a particular family gathering that we had and so much argument was happening about masks and mandates for vaccines and all this kind of stuff. 
And I was sucked into it initially until I just paused at one stage and thought, there's just no point to any of this conversation. No one is willing to change their view. Everybody is just getting more and more worked up about what they think is right and the latest research that they think is more valid than this other one or whatever. And it's like, look, I think we can all agree that this is a pretty significant issue that affects us. We've all got different perspectives, probably just because we're all looking at different sets of information. If we do want to get on the same page about this, to start with, we're going to have to clarify the data. But before we even spend time and effort doing that, are we so sure that we need to agree on our view on this to hang out and eat together and spend time and kick a soccer ball and look after each other and give each other a compliment and talk about our goals for the future? I mean, to me, it is just such a non-vital issue There are people I need to be on the same page about this with, like my business partners or my family members who I do make decisions with, but how someone else is deciding to manage their family, I mean, to a large extent, I think probably that just has nothing to do with me. And while I'm hearing it in the moment, the temptation is that I can get sucked into it, of course, and I'll have those negative emotions that come along if someone's doing something that I'm concerned about. It's just my brain trying to keep me and other people around me safe. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to act on it. So for me, when I go into a Christmas party with family or whatever, my goal often is to avoid stress and drama. (laughs) I don't want the headaches and the extra weight that I end up carrying when I get into a debate with someone about something like a COVID vaccine or abortion or who's a good political candidate coming up or what I think's wrong with the school system or there's just so many red herring arguments that just end up leading us down the wrong path. But even like which is a good guitar pedal, like I can get sucked into a debate about that kind of stuff. What's a good TV show, whether or not the director should have made this decision in terms of the casting I mean, it's like we don't need to agree. Part of different perspectives is enjoying that and it helps us to understand the world differently by interacting with people that think differently to us. So if we're not able to tolerate any difference in perspective, that ultimately is going to just hurt us. We'll develop a much more limited worldview. We'll gradually close ourselves off for interacting with interesting people around us that on a surface level, they might be quite annoying, but Underneath some of that, there might be different things that they can offer us, like lessons that they've got. At the very least, maybe they could serve as a cautionary tale for us not to follow in the footsteps that they've walked in. But we're not going to learn any of that if we decide that because they're a Trump supporter or a Hillary supporter or whatever, that we refuse to talk to them anymore because after all, surely those people are just complete Nazis, right? So if my goal is just to avoid stress, that means that I'm going to be coming up with a plan that involves avoiding stress. But for me, it's also being a good role model for my son. I want to be supportive for vulnerable family members and people who are a bit more isolated, you know, someone who's grieving, who's lost a loved one recently. I would much prefer to be talking with them about how they're traveling and, you know, sharing a bit of joy with them versus trying to correct somebody else's incorrect view about which guitar pedal's right and wrong. So this means that you don't necessarily need to take every opportunity to get into conflict. Even when someone's trying to push your buttons or get under your skin, do your best to act like it doesn't affect you. Give them a respectful and polite explanation that you want to go and grab something from the kitchen and just leave and don't go back. 
So that's the next tip, I guess, that's really important is to find ways to hold on to boundaries where needed. This might be saying no, this might be limiting the amount of input that you have, this might be limiting the amount of time that you spend with someone, it might be asking to rearrange the chairs on the table, it might be just talking to your partner and saying, could we just leave, I'm at the end of my tether here, you know, I can probably hang around for another 30 minutes, but I'm probably going to lose it if we're here any longer than that. So finding a way to hold on to boundaries, it's really important for self-care. Just generally speaking across the board, that is just an essential of of operating in in a balanced way. Uh, And in an interaction or before an interaction, that will be no different. So setting the boundaries will be the first thing. It's communicating what's expected. Actually, I need to go over here. Can you give me 10 minutes or something like that? Um, I'm happy to prepare a salad if that's something that's helpful, but I prefer not to cook the meat. And from there, I suppose we need to gradually ratchet up the level of assertiveness that we use. I often suggest maybe reciprocity is an effective strategy. If they improve, if you say to someone, look, I'd prefer not to talk about that, or actually, no, I don't want that, you know, if they're insisting, please have some, you're going to like it, you're going to like it, you're going to like it, I'm telling you. And you're like, no, look, I don't want it. Please just leave me alone. So the first step is to say, I'm sorry, I don't want it. Would you mind stopping asking me, please? And then if they improve, then we should immediately give them some positive reinforcement. Thank you so much. Hey, um, I know I'm not wanting any of it, but could you tell me what's in it? Because yeah, I'd, I'd be curious. I've made something similar just without the meat. So we sort of open up and be warm again when they do what we want them to do, which is to respect our boundaries. But if they don't, then what we need to do is to gradually ratchet up the level of assertiveness. If they improve, you can be polite and respectful, but brief, and maybe you're still holding on to some boundaries to some extent. But if they push back, like let's say you've said, I'm going to go and get something from the kitchen and you leave and you just leave them alone sometimes family members might chase you. One of the challenges when you put boundaries in place to do with conflict is that the other person might not initially respect it. Let's say the conversation turns to some particularly uh, conflictual topic, like the Israel-Palestine issue, for example, at the moment, and you've decided that's probably not going to be a productive and helpful conversation to get into, so let's just leave it. And maybe you've even said something like, oh, look, it sounds like we've got pretty different perspectives on that. It's probably better if we talk about something else. What do you think? Like you've tried to do it in a friendly and informal type of way, but they say, well, no, you've said that, so now you need to back up your perspective or something like that. Or if you've left and you said, excuse me, I'm just going to go and grab something from the kitchen, and then you've decided not to go back, Sometimes people will follow you and say something like, what's your problem? Are you avoiding me or something? So if they're continuing to push, then you will need to continue to be more assertive. Firmly then I would say something like, I just went to get a drink. Just keep it brief, informative, respectful, but it's firm. I wouldn't say something like, I'm so sorry if that's upset you or something. I just just went to get a drink. And then if they say, well, I'm sick of this, you've obviously got a problem with my political perspective, can simply just say, I'm not prepared to talk about it. And if they continue to follow you, then at some stage you just leave. Like ultimately you can't control the other person's behaviour. So what does a plan look like for if they won't leave you alone? Um, I think it's leaving. I think it's gradually trying to put in place firmer and firmer boundaries. But if they're not willing to respect it, then at some stage you'll just say, 
Thanks very much for having me. No apologies if leaving is going to disrupt the party, but I think that's probably for the best. I'll, I'll send you a message later. The next strategy that can really work for managing particularly gatherings like events and interactions is to just be present. Most of the annoyance with the annoying people that you deal with, it's not actually just the conversation, but it's the way that it leaves us feeling. It's the thoughts and emotions that are sitting there for us after we've dealt with someone that's been particularly rude or dismissive or disrespectful or whatever they've just done to you. And so a simple way of recalibrating is just to pay attention to your senses, your body and your thinking. So what can I see? What can I, what, what the temperature is the air? Is there a breeze in the room? How does the air feel as I breathe in and out in my nostrils? Like just paying attention to things like touch or smell or sound or that kind of stuff. But even what's going on within you, like do you feel hungry or tired? Are your legs sore, stiff? Does your neck feel stiff and tight? Just physically, what what are you feeling? It's called interoception, like feeling inside your body. And then what are the thoughts that keep coming up for you? You keep being reminded about this argument about a political conversation with that person that you talked to 30 minutes ago. Okay, that's interesting that that thought keeps coming back to me. Now, all of these things are just signals about where we're at at the moment, what our nervous system is doing, what our brain is focused on, how it's making sense of this current conversation and the current situation that we're in. And so if we really focus on our senses, one of the effects that it has is that it forces our brain to add more detail. We go back to the data, we go back to the facts, which often means that as we feel the breeze on our skin and we are holding a cold glass in our hands and we run our fingers on the texture of the glass and feel that and we notice the condensation. You might then notice a little puppy that's in the corner of the yard or the smile that your kid is doing while they're jumping on the trampoline with their cousin. And we can recalibrate by refocusing on these types of things. It's the positive aspects. It's the meaningful parts of something like Christmas It's thinking about that Christmas carol that's just come on and the emotions that swell up for you in your stomach when you hear that, whether they're good or bad, just being present, really helpful. The next tip, which probably goes without saying, is just to be careful with alcohol and probably for you, it's mainly about how much you drink. If you feel like you have control or influence over other people, sure, go ahead and try and manage that. But the biggest thing you can do is just to avoid getting too tipsy maybe even deciding not to have anything to drink at all, buying a bottle of wine that's really nice and saving it for after you get home from the Christmas party. For a lot of people, that would be a much better option than drinking the wine while you're still there, Um, simply because it lowers our filter. And if we're dealing with someone who's very unfiltered, we need to filter. It's not fair. It's not right. You might wish that they would think before they open their mouth, but ultimately there's probably not a lot you can do about that. What you're really wanting to do is to avoid getting in an argument and conflict with them. So for you, that will mean, I guess, being at the top of your game. And if you're a professional sports person, a Formula One driver, giving a massive presentation, you're probably not going to have three or four glasses of bubbly (laughs) before you go in to perform. And so for you, if your goal is to be at your best during this interaction, maybe alcohol is not something that's particularly helpful. The next idea to consider is how to use structure. 
Where possible, maybe structural changes can be used to reduce friction and to reduce the touch points that might end up in an argument or conflict or stress. So maybe just having a grazing plate uh, for the meal if you're serving food might be an option if you're constantly annoyed about particular family members who show up late and everybody's sitting there waiting for them or doing it in the morning so it's a really long morning tea and things are a lot more flexible, or holding it at a park so the kids can run around and play so they're not just confined in a space, that might reduce the conflict that comes from each parent not being effectively able to manage their kids and enjoy the Christmas party during it at the same time. So changing the structure might mean that you end up with less friction and less of those potential triggers for conflict. Another kind of conflict that you might come up against when you're dealing with family interactions and family gatherings and events is data conflict. And so as much as possible, I would suggest clarify expectations where possible and where you can do it ahead of time. If a misunderstanding or a disagreement has happened, focus on the behavior and the future and the solutions. So if someone comes up to you and has a go at you, you know, I told you I was bringing a salad. Why did you bring one as well? Or I thought we talked about this dollar limit and you've clearly exceeded that or something. You know, that that's data conflict. You thought that there was a dollar limit on the presents that we were buying the kids, but that wasn't something that we necessarily understood. And so you might need to resolve that. I'm sorry about that. It sounds like we've there's been some crossed wires but the focus should be on behavior, future, and solutions. Uh, next time round, I'll, I'll put a note in my diary to confirm before we go out and do the Christmas shopping. So with that, I suppose at least we've given the other person the message that, yep, I get where you're coming from and it's important and we've dealt with it, but we don't then get stuck on, you did not tell me that there was a dollar limit on the presents. I, I clearly remember that conversation and you said this. I mean, going back and correcting the past when we're dealing with data conflict is very unlikely to lead to a good outcome. Even if ultimately you convince the other person that you're right, guess what? They're probably still sitting there with a chip on their shoulder and you know, grumpily chewing on the dip and probably finding an opportunity to get back at you by making a negative comment that's going to affect you later on in the evening. You might also deal with values conflict. Interestingly, I think a lot of people tend to assume that within a family, everybody will hold the same view, but it's not true. Within a couple relationship and a marriage, people don't have the same view about everything. And even you don't still have the same views that you used to have. (laughs) You've changed probably more than you realize, but we tend to think of ourselves as very consistent and static and uh, dismiss some of the changes that we make along the way in our journey through life. But of course, your values have shifted. And where you're coming up against values conflict, you just need to decide on your priority. Are you sure that you actually need to change this? Maybe you can just say grace and a prayer before the meal, even if you're converted to an atheist over the past few years. Or, you know, somebody prefers to do Christmas presents for the kids, but you're really anti-consumerism and you see this as being a real waste, particularly at a time when everybody's struggling financially and there would be better things to spend the money on that would actually benefit the kids. So these are values conflicts, right? We've just got these two different ideas of what's important. And in a lot of situations, you don't actually need to change the other person's view. What's really important is just clarifying it. 
maybe we could set a dollar limit on the presence and then that would, to some extent, satiate your concerns about the consumerism but also give the other person the opportunity to buy something for the kids in the family because that's obviously really important to them. So thinking carefully about those values conflicts and what do you actually need here, what's the goal, and are you so sure that you need to be on the same page about values because maybe there's an opportunity to compromise or collaborate in a way that would allow you both to still hold on to your values but avoid getting sucked into the drama and conflict that often goes along with it. The final type of conflict that you might come up against is interest conflict. It's basically I want this and you want something else. Like when I'm dealing with Uncle Frank, I would prefer that we take turns talking about stories to do with ourselves, and then we listen to the other person. Whereas from his interest, he's probably wanting to big note himself and show me how cool he is or what a wise decision he's made with this recent purchase that he's done or how much he knows about architecture, whatever it is. Like people want to big note themselves, that's their interest. People want to talk about themselves, that's their interest. People want everyone at the Christmas party to know that they spent this much money on the alcohol for the party. That's their interest. Like we all have things that we want, they make us feel good. And sometimes the thing that makes you feel good is going to get in the way of what makes me feel good. And the challenge with this interest conflict is that there's often no magic wand that we can wave. Like two people might want Christmas to be at their house and you know, unless you're going to do a big convoy and go between different venues through the day, you're probably going to need to pick one. And so you'll need to decide then, well, how do we navigate these types of situations? And really you've got the five different conflict modes to choose from. Compete is being very firm. No, it was at your house last year at the time we discussed alternating and so I'd really like it to be at my house this time around. Or compromise. Look, I am happy to have it at your house again, but Could we then have it at my house two years in a row? Then that would mean over the four years it's effectively equal. Or maybe we collaborate. Actually, I was wondering if instead of doing it at either of our houses, maybe we could do it at a park and both bring along different things that would give the kids a chance to run around. What do you think? Or we could avoid it and just say, yep, no worries, you make all of the plans. That's totally fine. Just let me know what you want me to bring. Or just be accommodating and say, look, it sounds like it's really important to you. It makes sense given you've got a few family members on your side that they're not in common with me and they're elderly and so you're wondering if maybe this will be the last Christmas that they get to spend with some people. And so, yeah, I'm happy to have it at your place. So just being accommodating or avoiding, I would really, really, really suggest considering these two approaches when you're dealing with family conflict over the holidays because in a lot of situations... There's just nothing at stake or the stakes are so much lower than it feels in the moment. Having the alternating Christmases at different houses, there's probably an element that's important to you. Like, yes, you want the kids to experience having everyone come to their house while they're growing up or something. But you've probably got a dilemma on your hands where if you push it, the other person who wants Christmas at their house is going to be so upset with you that they harbour a grudge. And when they show up, things are negative and gross and stressful and tense. And I mean, to be frank, your kids are going to pick up on that. So is that what you want for a Christmas where everybody is a little bit worked up and stressed? Or would you prefer a light, carefree, relaxed Christmas 
where you show up and have a couple of glasses of wine and spend time chatting with the people that you like hanging out with. And your kids remember that as you being relaxed and at your best as well, potentially. And maybe you've been a role model for them in terms of being flexible and letting go of something that's important for you, for the good of the group or for the good of them or for the good of whoever. Um, I think a lot of the time probably that accommodating and avoiding might be a lot closer to how we actually want to feel if we imagine how that's going to play out versus digging our heels in and taking that more competing and assertive approach. I mean, there will be some situations where that's appropriate. You should stand up for yourself. You should hold on to boundaries. I think at the micro level, that's very true. If I'm talking to someone and they've just really insulted me, I don't necessarily feel obliged to stand there talking to them just because they're a family member. Um, For me, I'm just, I'm going to end that conversation. I'm just going to leave. Thank you so much. Excuse me. I I just want to go and check on, I don't know, something I might've left in the car and just go and sit in the car for five minutes and just take a time out. Uh, But just thinking about what's really important and sometimes that avoiding and accommodating is perfectly fine. You don't need to rush in and demand to your husband that we're leaving right now, get in the car, we are going. Maybe it's fine just to gradually in a more relaxed way, leave yourself and just hang out, you know, near the car, check something on your phone, go and grab a a cup of tea and talk to somebody else who's sitting by themselves and just avoid the drama. Uh, Maybe that's going to leave you feeling a lot more positive and peaceful. Relationships change over time. They ebb and flow. Your emotions will come and go. So just observe all of this. Watch it as a curious observer. Focus on the people that you love and the experiences that mean something to you. Go and hang out with your kids, throw a ball with them. Go and talk to that person that you actually really enjoy spending time with. And don't get sucked into the negative drama that's not going to be good for you. To finish the podcast, I wanted to read a quote. It's from the new book from Jung Pueblo, Y-U-N-G-P-U-E-B-L-O, and the book is called The Way Forward. I'm actually going to prepare a book review on this series of books in a future episode of the podcast, just because I think they're so helpful for the, for people who are dealing with conflict. But one of the pages, he sort of writes in this prosy, poetic type of style. Um, There's no headings or anything, but this one is, the first line is, three ways to keep your energy strong as you move forward. One, support your peace by not becoming extremely busy. Give your time to what matters most and repeatedly let go of the rest. Two, feel good about saying no often so you can focus on what you truly want to pursue. If it does not click with your intuition, it's not for you. 3. Don't let the emotional turbulence in others stop you from keeping your mood the way you want it to be. 